Today's episode of No Sleep Till Belmont is presented by the Salvation Army. Your donations can help those affected by COVID-19 find help and hope. To give, ask your smart speaker to make a donation to the Salvation Army or make your gift at SalvationArmyUSA.org. Welcome back, everyone, to uh, our weekly episode of No Sleep Till Belmont, the Islanders podcast from The Athletic. I'm Arthur Staple, your Islanders beat writer, and today I have a very special guest, a guy I've known for a long time, uh, a three-time AHL All-Star Islander uh, from a few years ago, and again this year in the Islanders organization with Bridgeport, Colin McDonald. Welcome to the show. Yes, thanks for having me. I know we've talked about this uh, a while now, finally uh, be here. Yeah, yeah, it's good. I in in doing my limited research uh, with the as you know with a small child, you have about twenty to thirty minutes a day of quiet time to do stuff. Um, you are the most recent forty goal scorer in the AHL, which is uh, which is a pretty interesting note. I remember um, seeing you play in the AHL in that ten eleven season for uh, was it Oklahoma City that you had forty four? Yeah, yeah, Oklahoma 42. City. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it honestly feels like a long ago, and um, it seems at the start of every season that kind of gets brought up. And uh, you know, I think someone was a, had a chance of breaking it this too close to more, but I know he was in Iowa before all this Corona stuff. Uh, but I think he was right at four, maybe just one or two below. Um, kind of catching my eye the last uh, couple weeks, and you know, sure enough, all this happened. So. Uh, yeah, I guess it's like you said, it's a, a nice little, uh, you know, uh, fun fact. And it's only a matter of time before someone passes that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then speaking of the, the, the break that we've all been on due to the pandemic and everyone's been home, um, you know, there's been some, some tidbits leaking out. Gary Bettman giving an interview to, I believe it was Sportsnet talking about some of the options. It seems like uh, a national reporter or, uh, a, you know, someone down here is reporting, you know, they might be able to open up in certain cities in the NHL. Um, as a player, when you think about the idea of, of having to basically quarantine yourself for what could what could be three or four months to finish a season and play a playoffs before they can get everything going and all doing it in one city. I mean, it's overwhelming for us to think about what, what would, you know, what does that mean to you when you think when, you know, I've been a player for a long time and being away from your family even for a, for a few weeks or even a few months of the season is difficult. What what are the challenges and what do you think about when you see some of these bits of information coming out? Yeah, I mean, again, you said it. It's just, it's such unprecedented times. As a blue book, you can't go back to your, you know, figure out what was done um, before us. Um, it's such a unique situation. There there are so many variables um, in order to get the season back, um, really, to be honest with you, because I'm full-time dad duty right now, I don't have a lot of time to kind of, you know, go scroll through Twitter, Instagram, read the news, um, uh, to figure out people are kind of speculating. Um, you know, last I heard, you know, a kind of a mid July, August type, you start up and finish and then a November, um, start to the following season. Um, you know, I, I just don't, I just, I don't understand all of the sticks, um, and all the boxes that need to kind of be checked for us to restart again. Um, 
but again, that's that's above my grade. You know, I was just talking about last night. He actually brought up a good point. And listen, I'm not naive to the fact that it, it's it's a business and there's a lot of money to be made. Um, even with no fans, the the TV deals, I I understand all that. But the point he made was. He said he's always said that, you know, in, in the summer, there's there's nothing going on. You know, it's just baseball. And I don't know how many people are kind of, you know, watching live baseball nowadays. So he thinks it'd be great if get July and August to kind of you know, announce a cup winner. Um, he believes that, uh, you know, hockey could pick up on hockey fan. Um, because of the lack of sports that are going on in the summer, and I never really thought of it like that. I don't. I'm assuming the, these owners and uh, Bettman and uh, you know anyone else in those meetings. I'm guessing they kind of you know toss that thought out there. Um, so it'll be interesting to see uh, you know what ends up happening here. Yeah, you know the when you think about the summer and even just uh, you know we've got the NFL draft going on this weekend and the eager anticipation for that, uh, you know people are so starved for for any kind of sports and it's hard, you know you you obviously want to keep it in perspective given um, you know how bad it is in the in the tri-state area. You you and I are both in Connecticut. It's not like it's uh, it's been we've been immune to it here just in the suburbs of New York City and. Um, Obviously, it's spreading around the country to a lot of other cities, and and that impact you don't want to just push it aside and say, "Hey, let's get some sports going." But it also, you know, it it's uh, it's something that everybody loves. You know, it, it it's hard to balance that. I think mentally. I mean, I certainly am looking forward to tuning into the NFL draft, even though I don't pay much attention to the NFL anymore, just because it it feels normal. So yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Um, it would be good not only for the regular hockey fan, but for maybe the newer hockey fan who's who's really interested in in checking out some some live sports on TV. So um, yeah, that's it's an interesting balance between that and all the logistics they'll have to they'll have to go through to get teams get guys back from wherever they've gone. And I'm sure you know some of your teammates have scattered as well. So it's uh, it, it's just a yeah, like you said, it's it's overwhelming to think about. So. Um, we'll focus a little bit more now on things that we do know about, and that was your season with Bridgeport this year. Um, what went into your decision to to rejoin the organization after a few years in the Philly organization, and um, and what was the season like being one of the senior guys on a team that had a lot of very young, very highly regarded prospects? Yeah, so I guess to make the story, you know, as as quick as I can, there was a management change with the Flyers. Um, to happen, I, you know, knew to start kind of planting the seed with, um, with other teams. And, uh, even before that happened, you know, I have such memorable years within this organization. Obviously most of my NHL time has come with this nation and, you know, being from Connecticut, it's, you know, roots are from here. Um, it's close to home. It's close to my, uh, wife. Austin and you know with with Riley being born um, last March um, I wasn't just going to play anywhere I wanted to be uh, closer to just with all that Birchport checked off a lot of balls and um, you know their conversation towards the end of last season and again kind of what you just mentioned about all the the young kids that they had the young kids that were coming through um, you know, I think I checked a lot of boxes for them as far as just someone that's familiar with the organization, familiar with 
you know, playing players from the living, um, the coaches in Bridgeport, um, you know, obviously being an older player and um, kind of, you know, going through the, the ringer as far as trying to, you know, make it for myself and, you know, going back to what you mentioned that, that 40 goal year I had, and, you know, I still couldn't make it after that year and kind of had to reinvent my game. And um, so I just think I bring a lot of uh, knowledge, experience, you know, I've played in the coast, I've played in the NHL, I've played in all-star games, I've played in world championships. So, um, you know, I just think they saw an opportunity to kind of bring me back in that role. And, um, you know, I'm just really, really happy that uh, it worked out the way it did. And, um, you know, not to try and give a plug for myself for next year, but I, I do hope that, uh, you know, I can come back for at least one more year. What um, what was it like to be, you know, you've been in so many different locker rooms, being one of the young guys, being one of the older guys, but but this one must have been very unique for any level to have, uh, you know, at the start of the year when you've got, I think, three teenagers in the room. And as the season goes on, there's a couple of, um, you know, other NHL veterans who came in, uh, you know, Thomas Hickey, Andrew Ladd. Um, it must have been an interesting, uh, an interesting experience to be uh, to be on the older end of that and see these these kids roaming around who normally would be, you know, in Simon Holmstrom. You usually think he'd he'd play a couple more years in in Sweden or Oliver Wallstrom. You know, you would assume maybe one more year in college. Um, Bodie Wild, who was there for a little bit uh, as a CHL player, it just uh, w- what was it like with those guys? Yeah, so it was, um, despite all that experience, I was just kind of bragging about this was a new experience for me having these teenagers around. Um, or, uh, you know, Holmstrom, they were talking about getting him a bill on Harry M. The first time I've ever, you know, heard about a professional maybe needing to live with another family still. And, um, you know, I remember having conversations with, with these guys and something that I kind of forgot about for granted, but just in terms of, you know, how to getting a license, you know, Holmstrom didn't have a West license and how to set up utilities and all those off the ice stuff that maybe the average fan or whoever, um, doesn't realize kind of everything that goes into being a pro and these guys, um, you know, are learning that for the first time and, uh, you know, the difference you can get in pro hockey is we have, you know, a Mason Yops, who's a 25 year old rookie and uh, Holmstrom's that's an 18 year old rookie. Right. And there is a different dynamic there. You know, Mace, obviously four years of college, um, you know, juniors, I'm assuming lived on his own for a little bit. So he kind of, he kind of gets it. And, uh, like Holmstrom just, you know, doesn't get it. <laughs> you can't, you know, stuff does affect on ice day. And um, again, this is all about becoming a pro. And uh, I was doing the best I can to to help out these guys. But at the same time, like, you know, sometimes the best way to learn these life experiences is to go through them themselves and mistakes and having to make those phone calls yourself instead of always having someone else. I don't know if you'll get a chance to talk to him now that, uh, well, I guess I can't say the season's over, but, um, you know, I'd love to hear kind of his perspective um, uh, on how, uh, I guess, his opinions on his pro. Yeah, I mean, to to be, in his case, I think the youngest guy uh, 
playing pro hockey in North America. It's got to be uh, it's got to be a wild transition to just go from being drafted a couple months later to saying like, yeah, I'll stay and and whatever role they can find for me. And, and I think um, you know a guy playing with the, for the first time on a, as a, on as a teammate was Kiefer Bellows, who seemed to you know just from the numbers and from some talking to some of the coaches, seemed to take the biggest step forward in terms of getting back to the you know the the hype that he had had as a first round pick and a big scorer and amateur. Um, what was it like kind of seeing his growth? Cause even within this season, he started real slow and sat out a couple games and then just caught fire. Yeah. I mean, I, I was given a little bit of background on him, um, coming into the year. Um, you know, again, just you alluded to it that I think they were hoping and expecting more whenever you have that first round tag, the expectations are, you know, through the roof and, you know, I want to say all the time, but um, you know, sometimes it's it's unfair to that player. And um, I remember he was. I think the story is I could have a little bit off, but I think it goes. He was supposed to be a healthy scratch. Some player called up, um, or someone got injured. He was, you know, I guess forced to play, and um, and that really kind of got him going and. Who knows what it was? It could be it could be a number of reasons why he kind of took off that. You know, it could be as simple as you know getting scratched, kind of just forced him to reset, kind of do some rethinking. You know, maybe gets that that chip back on his shoulder. Um, it could also just been a coincidence. You know, it's it's a year and a half of pro hockey. You know, a hundred games of experience at that point or whatever it was, and they just you know, figured out what he needed to do. And, uh, and as you know, you've talked to, uh, the, you know, thousands of players. And once you get that confidence, I mean, confidence is such a, a powerful weapon. You know, if there was a, a, a blueprint as to how to get it, you know, we'd all be in the Hall of Fame, right? And um, he got that confidence and he just ran with it. And what I'm most proud about him is even after that call up, sometimes these guys get a little bit uh, over, you know, I guess confident, think it's going to be easy. I got to figure it out. And that wasn't the case with him. He just kind of uh, kept his head down, just kept working, you know, going on early before practice, staying on after all those cliches you, you hear about. He really did do a good job kind of holding himself accountable. Um, and not getting, uh, I guess, big headed once he started having that success. And, um, you know, with a couple of those young, kind of a similar situation, although not as big a, a breakout since he'd had it the year before, but Otto Koivula, who got a little time in the NHL too. I mean, he seems like a guy who, um, who can kind of, you know, play. He's, he's not really typecast as a, he's got to be a top six guy when he gets called up, even though he's a top six guy at the AHL level. Um, what did you think of his game in it? And how hard is, you know, you've been in that situation, getting called up, setting, sent back down. It, it has to be hard to get in a rhythm at either place. What is that? What did you kind of see from him um, going up and coming down so much? Yeah, I mean, I know the expectations for him were, again, were very high. And, you know, he brought that on himself because of the year that he had last year. And, um, you know, I think, again, you said it, just getting moved around as much as he was, it's very hard to get into that rhythm. Um, you know, he's a top six for us, but because of his his, his size, 
Um, I think he might be asked and he is asked to kind of play a bottom six role, which I think it's still, uh, he's still learning to grasp that. You know, I don't, I don't know, you know, the conversations that he's having with the brass and where they see him fit up there. I, I have no idea, but, um, you know, the, the top six, they're just it, in the NHL, those guys are so skilled, you know, and, uh, Otto's got the, you know, the blessing of having that size where, you know, he can play that bottom six role, but it's really, you know, there's really got to be some, some development. He's got to take some, I guess, initiative to, to buy into that role. If that's the role that they see him playing, you know, and so it's hard for me to answer that. Um, you know, there were, he was dominant for us at times. And then there's other times, you know, I know they were unhappy with him, but, uh, again, you just have to factor in all that movement. Um, you know, it's, it, I, I, I talk about like, it's a bad thing. I mean, anyone would, would give their, you know, what to be in that position <laughs> to, uh, to get called up as many times as he was, but just from a, from a hockey perspective. And again, because I've been there, it's just hard to get into that rhythm with the traveling back and forth. Uh, you know, I'm guessing there's some lack of sleep there and, um, again, just maybe never knowing, you know, am I, am I a Bridgeport guy? Am I an Islander guy? Like what's, what's going on? You know, those, those are the questions that he's probably asking himself. And I, I can't answer cause I, I don't, you know, I'm, I don't know what goes on, um, up there regards to the, you know, how open they are and, uh, communicating with those players. And I guess lastly, talking about the guys in the team this year, he's he's been such a lightning rod, and I know it seems like uh, maybe his time in the organization is coming to an end. But Josh Hosang did come in after kind of being away for a while, uh, not necessarily self-imposed exile, kind of mutual exile, which must have been a very strange situation. Um, but he did come in and play a few games and then was loaned out to San Antonio kind of uh, a few weeks before the hiatus came. Um you know, what was your impression of him? And I'm sure you've seen him over the last couple of years in the AHL. Um, it, it, was that kind of an odd situation for you guys in the room to just have him pop in and then all of a sudden be gone? Yeah, it, it was odd. Um, you know, I, it's, I didn't, it's tough, right? Like I've heard all the, the negative stuff kind of surrounding him and I told myself I want to give him the benefit of the doubt uh, going into the year. And it's hard to kind of, I guess, ignore the noise um, you know, and then, he, then again, I, I don't want to, I'm careful with how to answer that. Cause I don't know all the, um, the way things kind of played out, but I will say, you know, we kind of took it as, um, you know, he, he was sent down or wasn't claimed and didn't want to come to Bridgeport. And then he just joins us halfway through and, you know, I mean, listen, you know how it is in that situation. It's, it's hard not to, kind of uh, judge a guy whether fairly or unfairly in that situation um, you know fortunately we were not we were not winning right so we are desperate for someone to come help us so from a from that perspective we were happy to, to get him and to try and get us going and um, I know his time with us again was short-lived um, there, there's no doubt um, he has the ability and you know I don't think anyone anyone has ever questioned that it's just a matter of trying to you know put all those pieces together um to figure out you know he can i guess maximize his potential to play in the nhl and uh, again there were times where he was definitely the best player on the ice but there are also times where he wasn't and you know maybe that inconsistency is what's kind of 
um, held him back from making the next step. But again, he, he they're still so young. I, I think because he's talked about so much, you feel like he's been around forever, but he hasn't, you know, he still has plenty of time to make it. Um, and if he can, you know, I guess figure out those, uh, those inconsistencies and everything else that goes into, um, you know, why he was an inconsistent player. If he can figure that out, he's, he's going to be a heck of a player. Yeah. Well, let's turn the clock back a little bit, uh, to that lockout shortened season in, in 2012, 13. Um, you know, the Islanders brought you in, I think it was your third organization in three years after that big year, uh, in the Edmonton organization in 10, 11. Um, and it was, you know, with the lockout, you were kind of seemingly locked in for the first part of the year to Bridgeport, but then the the training camp came and you were uh, as important a regular um, kind of uh, in that fourth line, third line role. Um, what was that like? Because it seemed, uh, you know, when you looked at that roster, I think in training camp or what came out of training camp, there was a lot of waiver claims. Um, there were some some AHL veterans, guys like Keith Acoin, um, you know, Brad Boys had just come in. Um but you guys just really kind of midway through that that shortened season really put something together and, and nearly pulled off what would have been a monumental upset in the playoffs. How much fun was that year and how much did it really, you know, for you cement the idea that uh, after some tough seasons not getting a chance that, that there was a that you were an NHL player? Yeah, I mean that was that year was definitely uh, my most memorable experience for a number of reasons. Again, you kind of mentioned all of them there. Uh, but just to back up, I guess, quickly, um, when I had mentioned earlier about, you mentioned my 40-goal year, and, you know, I still couldn't, you know, I still like, didn't, I didn't think I got a great deal that summer, and I'm like, you know, what the heck's going on? And um, I had known, you know, Boganicki is a Connecticut guy, so I, I had known him for a while, you know, same agent, and uh, I remember that summer, I ended up signing with the Islanders, there was some conversation, and and I'm signing with them, and I'll never forget Boganicki telling me, he's like, listen, he's like, if you're going to make this team, you're going to be a, a box guy. He's like, you know, do, do not, when you come play for us, do not worry about your points. You know, you got to be a bit of a, a pest, you know, be physical. I just play that simple north-south, you know, all those cliches you hear about for that role. So I really, uh, I was like, all right, well, you know, he, he must be right because if I if I can lead the league in goals and, you know, get nothing from it, you know, something's got to change. And, um, so that, uh, that lockout year, whatever it was, the first 35 games in Bridgeport, that's really all I focus on. And, and of course I was still getting points, uh, but I, that wasn't my focus going into the games. And, you know, sure enough, obviously everyone kind of knows the story and, uh, you know, and I'm, you know, making the team once the lockout ended and, um, had some good success playing with uh, Casey and Marty. Casey and I were playing together in Bridgeport, so it really helped because I, you know, I, there was that that comfort um, of playing with a guy uh, that I knew how, how you know I know how he plays a game, and he and I play a similar style. So definitely having him um, uh, right away just kind of I guess put me at ease a little bit. Um, you know, he's such a reliable. Uh, player, it just really, uh, I guess I was able to maximize, you know, my, um, uh, my, uh, the way I was playing the game at that time to, to help the team have success. And then again, like you said, to be able to get into the playoffs there and, um, you know, to be able to, to make a pretty good push 
and again, just just almost uh, you know a bounce here or there, I guess they say, and um, it could have been a different series, but um, yeah, just definitely the most memorable. Um, you know, I can't even say I was a rookie that year because I didn't qualify being a 28 year old, but um, yeah, just very happy I was finally able to make it and kind of you know grind it out for as long as I did in the minors to to get that chance, and it, it was definitely worth uh, you know every. Every bus ride, every uh, you know, three and three that I had up until that point to to you know, I guess finally be called a, a regular in the NHL. And that playoff series, you know, I we just did a little ser- a little uh, thing on on our site about the top ten Islander moments of the last twenty years, and I led off with uh, with Kyle Opozo's fight with Matt Niskanen and in that game two. Uh, in Pittsburgh, that seemed to be, you know, I don't want to say a fight was kind of the thing that turned it around, but but it, you know, you guys were losing that game three one. You'd been blown out in the first game, and that one, he, you know, he really tuned up Niskanen, and uh, you scored a goal kind of soon after that to get it to three two, and that really, kind of that sequence, I, it, it sort of seemed like, and I remember in the locker room afterwards, that was kind of the mo- the turning point for a team that didn't have a lot of playoff experience that kind of made you all believe that you could compete with the Penguins. Was that, is that accurate memory from my end? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's good. I wouldn't have been able to remember that myself, but, uh, just, <laughs> it was a know, long jog- time ago. Yeah. Just jogging, you know, jogging my memory the way you did. I, I would have to say that, um, you're exactly right. And again, I remember going out for game one, um, you know, skating around right before puck drop and, um, you know, all the, the towels or whatever they had gone. And, um, I can't speak on behalf of the other guys, but I remember saying to myself, like, Holy cow, like what, what, you know, what the heck am I doing right now? Like, this is, <laughs> this is, you know, you, you hear people talk about all oh, playoffs is a whole nother animal. It's a whole nother level. And I'm like, yeah, they, they weren't kidding. And, um, yeah, you know, we, we got blown out game one and then, um, I don't know where we were score wise at that time when Kyle fought, but it definitely kind of whether it calmed our nerves or just give us a, a bit of a boost or maybe about both. I, I can't really say, but um, you know, I think uh, you know that game kind of proved to me, and I think proved to everyone that all right, we can we can compete with these guys. And um, again, we ended up making it uh, a bit of a series. I think Orpik picking up scoring an OT there, right? Um, yeah, game six. That was game the... six. Yeah, that, yeah. So uh, you know, again, I alluded to that earlier. Just another bounce here or there, and who knows? We could be having a different conversation. And uh, yeah, it was uh, you know one of my most memorable moments was um, being in the locker room before game three, before warmups even, and, and, and the, the building was literally shaking. And I'm like, again, I was like, holy cow, like, what, what am I doing right now? Like where this can't be like, this can't be normal. And, um, you know, obviously you were there, but that, that atmosphere is, uh, you know, it's hard to put into words, um, what you feel, uh, with those fans at the Coliseum, there's, there's nothing like it. Now I know that, um, you were uh, housemates with uh, with John Tavares for a little while during your during your three years there. How did that come about? And uh, and you know that was obviously before you guys were old married guys with kids uh, that you yeah. are now. But um, you know Johnny is uh, has a very distinct personality that he shows to everyone. But I imagine it's it's a lot different behind the scenes. Yeah, I mean. Um... So that was, uh, at some point during that, that year, Snowy told me I can go base. And again, it was, it was a bit of unique circumstances because I think he ended up telling me get a place. And like, 
you know, whatever it was, say January or February. And, um, you know, so it's hard to kind of, you know, get your own place. And, um, uh, I just pulled me aside one day he, he had heard or was that I was, you know, at they got a place and he had plenty of room in his place. By, um, you know, he's just such a genuine, good person. And, um, you know, said I could, could join with him. And, um, of course I took him up on that and, uh, that's kind of where our friendship started. And, um, just, I think Joseph, we're very compatible. Um, you know, I don't, I, I would like to think if it didn't work out year one, he wouldn't have wanted me back for year two. So it's good <laughs> to, uh, you know, get about a year and a half with them. And, um, yeah, it just worked out. It just worked out really well. Again, our, I was going to say girlfriends, but our, our, our wives uh, got along really well, which, as you know, is important, and uh, they've become good friends, and um, we've been able to stay in touch, and uh, grand, most of it's just kind of through Snapchat of our kids now, but, um, you know, we'll definitely exchange uh, text messages here and there just to kind of check in and, um, you know, to be able to, to go to his wedding and kind of be with all the guys, um, you know, just... Uh, it's just a lot of fun and um, to be able to kind of see a player of that caliber, see kind of what goes on behind the scenes, um, what needs to be done to, you know, uh, to maximize your potential. Obviously he's at another level, but um, you know, it's something I definitely would never take for granted. And just to kind of, you know, see how he goes about his craft. I, you know, uh, obviously we, our paths have kind of gone two different ways, but um, I definitely learned a lot just kind of seeing how he goes about things on a day-to-day basis. You'd mentioned early on that uh, you're talking about next season and hoping to come back to Bridgeport. Um, you know, being where you are in your career, um, having this uh, unprecedented situation come up, it, did it did it sort of feel like, you know, you, you obviously had a productive season. I would imagine, you know, it was a valuable Valuable experience to have you there with with all those young guys in Bridgeport uh, for Brent Thompson and the staff and Chris Lamorello. Um, it, would it feel wrong to you to to kind of go out without having finished the season or seen just kind of seen it through to the end? I know maybe playoffs weren't necessarily in the in the offing for for the Sound Tigers this year, but um, but how do you feel um, you know thinking about next year if if anyone can even think about a next season right now? Yeah, I mean exactly that. I. Even before this all happened, I um, I was planning on playing next year. You know, I just got to 900. Um, I don't know how many games ago now. So, you know, that was kind of the last, I guess, personal milestone I was trying to get as far as trying to get to 1,000. And I guess once you get to 900, it's definitely, you know, it's definitely right there for you. Um, so I was planning on playing regardless. But that said, I'm also not naive. I understand the situation I'm in. So of course I started to do, you know, I guess networking and trying to put my resume together and, uh, I guess throw some feelers out there. Um, if no one wanted me as far as a player, but yeah, you know, I, I, I tell Lexia, like, you know, I, I can't, I can't go out like this with like, with no ending, you know, I just, you know, the fact that Corona, I can't let this, you know, be the way that I end my career. You know, I just can't let that happen. Um, the unfortunate part is it's, you know, it's not really in my control at this point, right? Like you just, you have to be wanted. And, um, you know, I hope, 
you know, I, I hope the the staff and the brass uh, that didn't know me coming into this year um, were able to get to know me enough where they, they want me back. I feel like I, again, I check a lot of boxes as far as that leadership, that older uh, presence, kind of help with the young guys that every team needs um, so that I am able to go out on my terms. Cool. We, we hope it happens, but we're always happy to have you here too. And uh Colin McDonald, thank you so much for taking some time out of uh, of uh, what are pretty busy days, as you and I both know, with small children running around the house. It, uh, it yeah. shouldn't feel like it, but it definitely does. So uh, thanks a lot, my friend. Uh, this has been great. Yes, thanks for having me. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening, as always. Uh, we'll be back again next week with No Sleep Till Belmont, another special guest to get us through these non-hockey times, and maybe there'll even be some news on the horizon about uh, hockey returning. Thanks again, everybody.